1: The show is all about the business of trucking. If you've got questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, buying and selling trucks, you name it, we cover the gamut here on this show. You're in the right place because that's what we do. We take your calls, we answer your questions about all of those topics and many more anything you can think of. Call me up. We'll give it a shot. If I can't answer it, many times somebody else listening can help us out. We're going to get to those calls in just a couple minutes. There's a topic I want to talk about. and I've kind of been hesitating until I can get more information because I don't want people to worry too much about this yet, but uh, we're starting to see some patterns, and we have some evidence and I just wanna put it out there um it and it has to do with twelve seven engines um mostly in gliders um and and what's happening and and if you've listened to the show, you've heard that we had a couple issues of gliders with twelve sevens getting Really poor fuel economy, and we weren't sure why. Um, a couple of them were clustered around one specific dealer, and I, I don't even want to say the name because I I don't believe this is their fault at all. I just think they may have been unlucky with a couple of these. Um, the dealer is a great dealer, great reputation, but I do want people to be aware. Um, in uh, Jeff Zarley, who is a, a great asset to our Let's Truck team is working on this issue, and there isn't anybody better qualified to do it. Jeff has a a real understanding of engines, and he just is uh, so focused on detail and getting to the right issues and the right answers. And, And Jeff is putting a lot of time into this right now and doing a lot of research. And as we know more things, I will bring them to you. It, it seems like what is happening is that there is such a huge demand for these twelve sevens in older trucks, in gliders, people are rebuilding them, that parts are getting scarce. And it seems like they are mismatching a lot of parts. You know, you have different versions of the 12-7, you have marine versions, it, there's there's a lot of different possibilities. And it seems like that we're getting parts mismatched. The engine will run. There won't be any major issues, but it seems to be hurting fuel economy. And it is almost impossible to track down until you figure this out. And and really, it was Jeff that, that kind of put all this together to figure it out. I was stumped. Ah uh, Pittsburgh power was stumped and and you know when it comes to fuel mileage, I've been doing this a long time. Pittsburgh Power is hands on with this stuff every day, and uh, you know it's a long process and and I think Jeff is on to something here. He's going to continue doing more research. I, I don't want anybody to panic or you know think that we can't ever build a glider with a twelve seven We can I just want to find out what we can do. To make sure that if you're building a glider, we address this issue and we have some solutions. It's possible that I may start recommending building gliders with the 6NZ CAT, which would be my next option, uh, or an N14 Cummins. I'm good with both of those engines. If it were me, if I had to build one right now and I couldn't find a 12.7 that I trusted, my next option would be the 6NZ. That's an engine that I've really come uh to, to appreciate a lot more over the years, especially with Pittsburgh Power showing me what's possible on fuel mileage and and working with it more and more. N14 is a good option, rock solid engine, um, good value, easy to work on, not expensive. So the the probably the choice between the the N fourteen and the the six N Z comes down to so a little bit of money. You know, Cat is always going to be more expensive to buy, more expensive to repair, but it, it is a great engine. 6NZ kind of, or the N14 kind of middle of the road, not, not the top on fuel economy, not the top on performance, but again, a really good value, uh, an easy engine to uh, work on, and it's not very expensive. So The other option, and and I don't know enough about this yet, is the option of finding um, 14-liter Detroits, pre-emission 14-liter Detroits. I know they exist. I just don't know how many of them there are or how hard they are to find or what the parts situation is for those. But this is something we are clearly going to stay on top of. Um, You know, I, I think along with Fitzgerald, we've been a, a huge part of moving the the gliders forward and getting a lot of gliders built. And it's been excellent for a lot of people. So we will stay on top of this and we will come up with solutions. And like I say, right now, I don't have a lot of answers, but I wanted to let you know that it's something we're putting a lot of time into to try to figure out. Let's... uh. You know what, let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to Oklahoma. Dale, welcome to the program.
2: Yeah, hi, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, what you were just discussing is actually what I'm getting ready to do right now. I'm I'm getting a glider put together uh, for my Freightliner at home, and uh, they're uh, going to order the engine uh, from Freightliner, and uh, so the, the remount will be done by them. What you were talking about does that affect those engines? I guess
1: now, now when you say they're going to order the engine from Freightliner, do you mean Detroit?
2: Detroit, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the the manufacturer uh, reman.
1: It it actually does affect those engines. In fact, that's where uh, you know Fitzgerald really. It's kind of a partnership on the engines. Um, The the basic reman was done on site at Fitzgerald and this was before I'm not exactly sure of the setup now uh, because they've moved and built a bigger plant and I haven't been back there yet but the setup before was the engines were built on their property but the basic rebuild was done by Detroit factory technicians and so they were Detroit factory engines full warranty the whole shot and then Fitzgerald had some employees who kind of finished him up, did some of the custom stuff that they did to him. Then they dropped them into the truck and, and Fitzgerald has a great track record. I mean, I, we don't, I don't know of a Fitzgerald glider yet that we've run into this fuel mileage problem. Um, they've all of the really, uh, you know, The tough issues we've faced on fuel mileage have all been gliders built elsewhere. Um, That doesn't mean Fitzgerald's immune from it. It just means right now they've got a pretty good track record. But the other dealers are buying factory Detroit remands, from what I understand, and it's, it's really an issue throughout the system. Everybody's scrambling for parts. Everybody's scrambling for engines, and it seems like... Some quality control either got dropped or they're just, you know, using whatever parts they can get and, and not realizing the issues that it's causing. That, that's kind of my where I am right now. I don't have all the answers, but I, I want to make people aware of it. Uh, you know, if I had to build a glider today, and I know that's the position you're in, so that's what you're asking, I would have to be very convinced that whoever built that engine could prove to me that they were all the right parts, you know, that, and I'm not even sure how to do that yet, but if I couldn't get that assurance, I think I would be looking at a six NZ. Okay.
2: I'll have to talk with the, the dealer directly about this issue. I hadn't heard anything about this up until this point. So.
1: Yeah. And that, that's why, you know, I've only really known about this for less than a couple weeks that, you know, I, I was glad we finally came up with some sort of an answer because we were so totally stumped on the others. And, and that's that just hasn't happened in years and years. And, and I've always said, you give me a pre emission truck, we'll figure out why it doesn't get fuel mileage. And, you know, it, it, and we do virtually every time. But all of a sudden we ran into these trucks and we tried everything, everything we knew. Pittsburgh Power worked on them. I went through everything. We, we did all the stuff we knew, and yet we were still stumped. And then just recently, like I said, Jeff Starley came back and said, this is what I think is going on. But he doesn't want to put out any definites until he can do more research. And I don't either, but I just wanted to make people aware and, and that. As we get more information, I will just keep putting it out on the air.
2: Okay. Well, I'll definitely take that into consideration and maybe slow things down a little bit so I don't run into
1: an issue with that. Okay. And I know you've got some other questions about specs, so I'm going to get to a break, and I will come right back to you, and we'll talk about that. So stick around. I'm Kevin Rothford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. Hey, grab something to write with. I, I want to uh, give you some numbers here. And we, we record uh, several times a week, Wednesday through Friday. The schedule's up on our um, homepage at Let'sTruck.com, the schedule and the phone number to join us for recording. But we also use a text message system to send a text right to your phone anywhere from about 30 to 15 minutes prior to the recordings. And if you want to be on that text message list, it's really simple. It doesn't, we don't charge anything. It just comes down to whatever your text message package is. If you have unlimited text, then this won't cost you anything at all. And it's real simple to start and get on the list. And it's real simple to stop the list if you decide you don't want to. So first, I'll tell you how to get on the list. And then just so you don't feel like you're going to get trapped into it, I'll tell you exactly how to uh, get off the list as well. So to get on it is really simple. Open up your text message program on your phone. You're going to send the text to a number, and the number is 99000. It's what's called a short, short code. 99000 99000 is what you send the text to and you just send one word you don't have to worry about capitalization or anything all small caps will work the word is listen so all that's all you have to do text the word listen to 99000 give it a couple minutes and you'll get a response back with some instructions and that response lets you know that you're in the system Every time you get a text, there there will also be an instruction on how to stop, and you just text the word stop to the same number, and that takes you off the list. So at any time you want to get on the list or off the list, really simple, you don't need us to do it, and that way when we're recording or any time there's a special event, um, we won't, we will not spam you on this, that this isn't anything to sell you we don't give this away to anybody else we control this list very closely we just want to use it to let you know about recording time so that you can join us so again text the word listen to nine nine zero 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 all right i'm going to get back to the phone calls let's go back to oklahoma dale you still with me
3: yeah
2: i'm still there
1: okay go ahead
2: yeah um So talking about gliders, I'm getting ready to make a purchase on one. And uh, I've got a Freightliner Cascadia that I paid off through a lease. And I'm just, the maintenance is so high on it, just like everybody else. So I'm just, I'm trading it in on the glider. I've already switched to Landstar this year and just changing my whole operation around. But with with Sutton, go
1: ahead. Uh, Excellent. I think that is a great plan.
2: And so, and, and I, you know, I've been using the fuel gauges, and and what really made me make my decision was the the profit gauges, and I, I really focused on that. At the end of the last year, and the numbers they just said, hey, you got to do this. So I appreciate your help with that program. Um, so I'm getting ready to set up a, a, a glider, and it's a Freightliner Coronado. Um, I was looking at the 60 series engine with a uh, uh, 13 speed. And it looks like from looking at Fitzgerald's website, they're putting the, the uh, 342 rears in it. And that's the same thing that uh, my Freightliner has in them. Is that is that kind of, Well, And I'm, I'm, my operation is I'm pulling a box van for Landstar. No. So is that, that, that kind of the right gear ratio yeah. for something like this?
1: I, I hate that gear ratio. And, and I'll tell you why they use it is because... They do a lot of small fleet business, you know, 25 to 50 trucks at a time to fleets. They're fleets that kind of, in my opinion, well, I, I don't even want to say it's old school because this is still what most fleets do. I mean, they like to run their trucks 65 to 70 miles an hour. And if that's the case, 342 is probably not a bad choice. Um they don't, they don't, fleets really wouldn't even consider, you know, the, the options that we use of using, say, a 264 if you wanted to go faster, or a 279, and then running in direct. That, that doesn't work with fleets and, and company drivers, and they don't get it. So the 342 makes a lot of sense for Fitzgerald because of their their base of customers. I think for an owner operator who wants a really fuel efficient truck, it's a horrible option. Um, mm-hmm. it, in 13th year, your RPMs are way too low to drive anything under about 65 miles an hour. And in 12th they're it, it's okay, but it, it's still kind of a compromise. You're, you're stuck right in the middle of where you really want to be. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a couple other options and it comes down to where you want to spend most of your time speed wise. And, you know, it doesn't matter to me if you want to drive under 50, over 50, whatever it is, we'll gear it to to make your operation as efficient as possible. So where do you like to, to cruise speed wise?
2: Usually I'm right about 60 to 62. I get under that and and just, it it just seems slow. I I, I do drive, you know, 55, 57 sometimes, but usually up around 60, 62, right in that
1: range. Okay. Well, the beauty of the way that, that we set them up is you get all kinds of flexibility from, you know, 55 all the way up to 75, literally um, so, we we love this setup. Now, if you're going with a 12 7, I would use 279 gears. You would be at, at 60 to 62, you will be exactly where you want to be in 11th gear, which is direct and our most efficient. So, where you spend most of your time, you're going to get the best possible fuel economy with this setup. Anytime you needed to run 70, you've got 12th gear and anytime you literally needed to run 80, you would have 13th gear. I mean, it gives us so much flexibility on speed that I can't believe we haven't been building trucks like this forever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now the, and, and just in case um, I would use that same setup with the Detroit and the N14 if I were going to build a a six N Z, the only change I would make would be instead of two seventy nines, I would use two sixty fours, and then everything else would be exactly the same.
3: Okay. Um,
2: and then kind of the last thing is uh, just kind of the the, the fluids uh, for for this truck. I was looking at putting just uh, you know extended life coolant in it, and then um, uh. The, the synthetic oil, uh, I've, I've tried to research that, but it just gets so, so confusing and all the, the, um, yeah. different weights and everything. And, um, I was going to put it in this Cascadia, but then with the, the, I've got about 750,000 miles on it. And, you know, I talked to actually, uh, Detroit about it. I talked to, um, oval Delvac about it and I talked to my uh, Freightliner home, the service uh, advisor, and, and basically everybody advised me against but synthetic, even though it doesn't leak a drop of oil. Um, so I just kind of stuck with the, the you, you know, know that's, regular. That's a,
1: that is really interesting because if you don't talk to people, if you go to all the documentation, every manual I've ever seen clearly points out that synthetic is a better oil.
2: Exactly. I, I, and, that's, and, and I went yeah, through, yeah. I went all the way down into the technical bulletins and everything. Right. I, you know, I, I pleaded my case to them and they said, look, you know, with that old of an engine, just don't do it. Just stick with what you've been doing. And but, so that's kind of what I did on the last oil change.
1: Yeah. And that, that's okay. But see, it's not the, the age of the engine. That, that's not a good indication. I know engines with 300,000 miles that I wouldn't put synthetic in, and I know engines with a million miles that I would because the age doesn't tell us anything. They, you know, I, I think we always take the easy way out. Here's when we change our oil and we put an absolute number on it. Here's when we do this and we put an absolute number on it instead of doing, you know, a little bit more work to figure out what really makes sense because there's lots of variables. The, the real number to look at here is water consumption because that is an absolute measure of what's going to happen if we put a lighter weight oil in the engine. So what's your oil consumption like? And I, I know it doesn't matter much because you're going to be getting another truck and we'll talk about the oil in that, but what's the oil well, consumption over, like truck?
2: over the, the, the last uh, oil change was the longest I had gone, uh, which, you know, I do, I sample it and everything. And so that one I put out, it was forty
1: seven thousand miles or had on the oil, and I put in one gallon of oil. Oh um, my God. For, yeah, for, for somebody to out. say, for somebody to say you shouldn't put synthetic it, my number is kind of around a gallon every seven thousand or so. If it's yeah. using more than that, then probably not. But I, I've even done it on engines that use a gallon every six thousand. And it hasn't been a problem. So um, I I would use synthetic, absolutely. I'm even really moving towards the new 30-weight synthetic or synthetic blends. And we're tracking a lot of them on a lot of trucks right now. And the results are really good. Um, So, And fuel mileage is improving with those 30-weight oils. That's actually what I'm leaning towards. But I, I will not skip synthetic um, until the engine is almost toast then I might move away from it but stick around we'll be right back I'm Kevin Rutherford Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to some phone calls. We're going to head off to Nebraska. Dave, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you today? Great. What can I help you with?
4: Kevin, I got a couple tax questions. I I got, I got a a C corp and I don't know if I'm taking complete advantage of all the tax, uh, breaks, so to speak. And is there number my number one question is, is there an advantage of a, of a C-Corp over an S-Corp or vice versa.
1: There's really, really big differences between C and S-Corps. They're they're not at all alike. And I guess I'm wondering who made the decision for the C-Corp and was there some reason why?
4: I guess that would probably fall onto my shoulders. And uh, to be honest, I didn't know there was an S-Corp to okay. be a, a yeah, dummy.
1: <laughs> but that's a perfect answer. And how long have you had it?
4: Oh, since about 1995, really.
1: Has your tax preparer ever said that an S-Corp might work better for you?
4: No, actually. And, and the reason I say that, Kevin, is it's we we had a truck for a while. Then we kind of got out of the business. We went inactive. We kept the corporation inactive as well. And then we went back to the state of Nebraska, and reenacted it about uh, five years ago,
0: something like that, if that helps me any.
1: Yeah, it does. So most companies, unless there's some weird reason that's not part of the norm, most small companies always choose S-Corp. We we usually only become C corps when the IRS forces us to, and you don't get forced to until you are what you and I would consider a very large company. Um, you know, uh-huh. I, I've, I've run companies with, you know, several million dollars in sales and and we weren't C corps. I mean, you, you've got to get up to where you're really big, to where you're kind of forced to do it. The, the problem okay. with C corp is that you can face double taxation. You can face uh-huh. taxation when you take the money out of the corporation as an employee the corporation gets taxed on it. It, it. it can get pretty confusing and it can get expensive. Whereas okay. a, an S corp, see, C corporations actually pay tax. Uh, S corporations don't. And I know oh. that sounds like, oh, my God, that's the greatest thing in the world. It, it's not that big of a deal, but it is a big deal. The In an S corp, all of the money every single year has to flow through the corporation and then be taxed at the shareholder level, all of it. Uh Whereas in a C corporation, C corporations can hold on to money, and that's why bigger corporations need to do that. They need to hold on to money, and it gets taxed at two different levels. So in the S corp, the advantage is the corporation won't pay any tax. We will have to pay tax on all the money as shareholders, but we can split it up. And this is where the tax comes in. We can set a salary. And in fact, we have to set a salary. That is an absolute. When you own the corporation and you work in it, you have to get paid as an employee. Now, on all the money Uh. you take as a salary, you will pay all of the taxes. You'll pay social security tax. You'll pay Medicare tax. You'll pay income tax. You'll pay unemployment tax. All of those things. But on the... The rest of the money that we choose to take out of the corporation as either dividends, distributions, people use all kinds of different words to describe it, that money only gets taxed for income tax. We don't pay Social Ah. Security, we don't pay Medicare, we don't pay unemployment, we don't pay workers' comp, We none of that stuff. So that's where the savings comes in. The balancing act. From our point of view, we would like to take the smallest salary possible and take as much money out in distributions, and we can do that anytime we want. I mean, anytime we want money, we can just draw it out.
4: Oh. The balancing Is that what, comes, excuse me, Kevin. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, the, the IRS says in their typical, you know, non-answer that you have to take a reasonable salary. We don't know uh-huh. exactly what. By reasonable, but it and every accountant might give you a different answer. What we go by is we look at work you do for the corporation. And the work you do for the corporation is primarily you drive the truck, right? Right. Yeah. So we take whatever the average truck driver makes per mile, figure out roughier miles. We don't have to get exact because we do it as a salary to make it easier. And we end up paying most drivers usually in the forty-five to fifty thousand dollar range. We could probably go lower, but you know, we don't want to get too aggressive on it. So forty five to fifty thousand a year, which would which if we were ever audited, you could say, well, you know, thirty-five thousand of it was just to drive or forty thousand and then we threw in some extra for these other things. So we are completely convinced that's a reasonable number. The IRS would never really challenge it. And then whatever is left over, you know, if you have a, a, a company throwing off $80,000 in profit and you're only taking 50 of it as salary, that means on $30,000, we get to save social security, Medicare, all that stuff. It, it comes out to sometimes eight or 10% of that, that we save in taxes.
4: Wow. Okay. So what I, what you'd suggest is, uh, I need to get a, get really my, uh, is it a big deal to change from a C to an S or do I need to go through my attorney again? And change
1: I would do an attorney because I, I don't stay up on the legal aspects of, mm-hmm. you know, do you have to close one out, open up another one? I, I just don't get too involved in that. So I would have an attorney okay. do it.
4: Okay. And also one last thing, Kevin, I don't want to keep you too long, but when we'd go from the C corp to the S corp this year in 2015, uh, naturally that will, we're done on 2014. There's nothing we can do on the previous year. Is there?
1: Correct. Yeah. We can't go back yeah. and do anything. And, you know, yeah. just to, and this is something you could talk to your account or t- attorney about. There are some cutoff dates about when you can make these changes, but again, I, I don't really pay attention to them. I, I just try if I can to do any change on say a quarter, just because it makes accounting a little easier because if you okay. change in here, you're gonna to have to file a C Corp return, an S Corp return, and a personal return.
4: Yeah, and we're also on profit gauges, so you can check on that. But I got one more couple of quick questions. We we uh we were the guys that I had my son driving one me and my son traded off driving one truck and then we got big enough to where we needed two. And yeah. uh net net to the truck just for your your I can give you the numbers, uh or send them to you, but this truck that I had, I had to put a new engine in this in June. Uh, we netted to the truck after all miles. Mine was seventy-eight cents per mile, and my son's was ninety-four from September first wow. to December thirty-first.
1: That is, is that out- good. That is outstanding. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I- we we. Three or four years ago, we just numbers like that were the exception. I mean, we we just didn't see that much at all, especially getting up towards ninety cents. That's crazy. But twenty fourteen yeah. was really a great year, and and even more so for independence, which you know, with uh, rates were up. Yeah. So, yeah, those are those are excellent numbers, and it also tells me that an S corp is is going to be a, a real benefit for you. Um, I also, when you talk to your, uh, attorney, ask him about f- converting this to an LLC that gets taxed as an S corp. And he'll know exactly what I mean when you, when you say that I'm going to head off to California, Mike, welcome to the program.
5: Hi, Kevin. How are you today?
1: Doing great. What can I help you with?
5: Uh, I have an oil sample there. Uh, I just switched from my other oil sampling company to OPS, and I uh, was looking at this sample and was hoping you could maybe uh, make heads or tails of it. It's a little bit dip- more difficult to read than I was thinking.
1: Got it. Okay, so let me make sure I have all the numbers, right? We've got about 710,000 miles or so on the engine and about 53,000 on the oil when you did the sample. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so... You are using a teen 40 DelVac. Are you putting any kind of additives in it like a Lucas?
5: No, I'm not.
1: It it seems to be thick and I don't know why, you know, normally we would want to see the viscosity in the mid to high 14 range on this oil and yours is at 16.3. There's usually a couple things that can cause that one additives, um, But after additives, it usually comes down to contaminants, stuff like soot or coolant, things like that could increase viscosity. Oil or fuel would actually decrease viscosity. So we have no worries of fuel dilution at all. I mean, you have none and our viscosity proves that. We have some oxidation and that might be part of what's causing the viscosity to climb a little bit. Um, wear metals are all good. Even though they flagged iron at 47, that is nothing. So I, I wouldn't worry about that with the, the number of miles you have on this. Let me put you on hold and I'm going to come back and, and we'll talk a little bit about this. But it's really nothing to worry about. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. All right, uh, real quick, just to remind you here, um, at the end of this segment, I am going to say all those things I say at the end of a show. We're done. I've got to get out of here, all that stuff. Um, Don't hang up. We are going to take a short break, but I'm not going to suspend the call or anything. You can just stay on hold. I just need to, to send some files up to Sirius from this first show. It'll take me maybe three to five minutes, so... Don't hang up. Stay with me. We'll be coming back for a second hour, and I have tons of questions right now. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. We're down to the final segment. So I'm going to get right to some phone calls. I'm going to go back to California. Mike, um, you know, looking at this sample, um, there's a little bit of oxidation, which might be causing the viscosity. There's a little bit of soot. Um, but for an, um, for an emission engine, the soot isn't a huge deal. Um, what year is this by the way, does it have a DPF or not?
5: Uh, it does have a DPF. It's a 2010 Castadio with the
1: DD-15. Okay. So having the the DPF even increases the odds that we're going to get more soot. So two is nothing to worry about. Um, I would imagine being a fairly new DD-15, you have virtually no oil consumption.
5: Uh, I'm about 25,000 from my last oil change, and I'm only down a half a gallon right now.
1: That's kind of what I figured. You can take a lot of these engines out to 50,000 and never put a gallon in them. I I would consider going to a lighter weight oil. Uh, It's going to improve fuel economy. It'll bring this viscosity down. Um, And, you know, you could either go with a uh, a 1540 synthetic. You could go with a 540 synthetic. Do you spend a lot of time in cold weather? No. Okay.
5: I I try Uh, to avoid it as much as possible.
1: Yeah, good idea. If I were in if I had this truck and I didn't go to cold weather, I would actually look at the new 10W30s. Either a synthetic blend or a full synth- full synthetic 10W30, um you'll see really increased fuel economy. Uh you know, a couple tens might a- even um a- and we've been watching them for almost a year now and we are not seeing any increased wear that was their concern was the oil too light that there was going to be more wear on the engine i've seen engines broken down after a half a million miles and and you can't tell the difference
5: okay now when switching like over to a synthetic do i need just a regular drain and then fill back up? Or is there anything special you yeah. need
1: to do to clean up the old stuff? Now, there, there used to be some, well, there's probably still myths running around for some people that you can't mix the two. And that is absolutely false. Um, you could pour synthetic in, in as makeup oil on this engine if you wanted or the other way around. When we have synthetic in and you can't find it, you could always dump in conventional oil. All you really do when you mix the two is create your own blend. And there are already blends on the market. You can buy them.
5: Okay. Good. Very well. So this motor then looks like it's still pretty solid. That's that's
1: awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah, doing great.
5: Okay, I appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Tennessee. Harold, welcome to the program.
6: Hey, Kevin, what time is it?
1: Uh, I have no idea.
6: It's tax time.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. See, that's why I was trying to block that out of my mind.
6: Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I got a simple little tax question for you. Okay. They, uh, the company, they pay a portion of the base plates, and it's based on your longevity and your um, on time deliveries and so on and so forth. And, and okay, like, mine this year happens to be $1,000. Now, where would I report that on there for my next year's taxes? Or is that just a wash?
1: No, it it it's not a wash. Um, let me. We have to figure out. This is one of those areas where you have to follow the money. And what I mean by that is, if the company just says, th- "Does the company give you the thousand dollars?" Is That how they do it.
6: Good. No, what it does, they give me a, a settlement. Okay, I owe twenty one hundred dollars for my base plates. They pay a thousand, so I still owe them eleven hundred dollars.
1: Perfect. That, that, that is the best way to do it. And it makes it easiest on everybody. It's, you can ignore the fact that it ever happened. All you will do is just take a deduction for the amount you paid for what, what actually came out of your pocket to pay for the plate right. is deduct the thousand dollars. Doesn't need to get reported anywhere.
6: All right. So that thousand dollars, is uh, a non event and,
1: now, just, just and and I this is something I talk about a lot, and especially at tax time, we always want to make sure that the 1099 matches the, the amount of money you truly received, because yep. these are some of those weird things that companies will screw up in their own accounting and somehow end up showing that thousand dollars to you as income on a 1099. and And they shouldn't. But sometimes we see it. And and we just want to make sure that that doesn't happen. And as long as you match your ten ninety nine to the amount of money you really received for the year, then you'll be good.
6: Because this is the first year I got it, which won't be reported until next year. So, okay. we, so I got a year to worry about it. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, but that it, it most of the time this will be correct, and you can just ignore that it ever happened.
6: All right, all right. I thank you much.
1: You're and welcome. Yeah. Fair tax now. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, let's just get to another call. Um, so let's go to Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program.
7: Hey Kevin, fair tax yesterday. How about that?
1: Yeah, boy. You know, I, I, I have, well, I really don't have mixed feelings about this. It's kind of funny, you know, Our accounting program, I believe that if the fair tax were ever enacted, we would probably lose half of our customer base because a lot of people aren't using it for true accounting and looking at their numbers like I wish they would. A lot of people are using it just to keep themselves straight for taxes and may very well drop it if if we had a fair tax. But I've always said, I don't care. I'll find some other way to go make money because I I would do anything to get the fair tax right now. Well, now we've expanded. We're in the tax business again. So I stand to lose tremendous amounts of revenue and work if this ever comes about, but I won't stop lobbying for this for a second. The country needs it.
4: Absolutely. My question today, I've been considering either Crossfire or Cat's Eye for the main reason of simplicity, for gauging and adding air. Do you have an opinion, which one of those is the better one of the two? And I've seen them with braided stainless steel line and with just rubber line, but the stainless steel costs more, of course. Is it really worth the extra? And what do you think of it?
1: Okay, so the best answer I can give you, this was one of those products that I bought the cat's eyes first, and I do have personal experience with them before I went to uh, duels way back when in 2007 or so. Um, I had cat's eyes, and I was happy enough with them that I never got around to trying the the others. so and okay. I did I did pay for the braided steel just because I would have just me off if I would have ever busted a line and been you know on the side of the road because of it. So I spent sure. the extra) money but the cat's eyes worked great for me. I loved them.
5: Okay. Okay.
4: Well, I was just curious. I called that TST and talked to them a while back, and we're knocking on the door of a $1,000 in a place here in Columbus. I can pick up the cat's eye things for under 300 and I thought, man, I know how to read a tire gauge. I might just do that.
1: Yeah. And and it really is a good option. Like I said, I used them for years um, and I loved it. Walk around, quick visual, easy to air up. Uh, You know, it was one of the things I love about the duels is how easy they are to air up, but are the wide singles. But my duels were just that easy when I had the cat's eyes.
5: Sure. Okay. Well, that's what I was curious about. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for the call let's see i can squeeze in another one let's go to oklahoma lewis welcome to the program
0: good evening how are you kevin
1: good can i help you out
0: uh here a
3: while back you was talking about social security and signing up for benefits early and then suspending them right would
4: be some benefit and i I i lost Anyway, I dropped out and couldn't. I didn't hear the an answer or, okay. or what. Uh, how, uh, how, how would that benefit? Are you married? Yes. Yes. Okay,
1: good. Now, here's the thing because it's Social Security and because the government, uh, nothing is simple. I, I couldn't believe how complicated this started to get when I dug into it. Not so much that you won't be able to understand it but too much for me to be able to really talk about it a lot on the air. There's too many different possibilities. But what I can do is point you to the source that I was using for about 90% of my research. Uh, It it was a company that I've been using forever for different financial things. They put out a great report. And when I say 90% of my research came from them, the only reason I did the other 10% was just to verify that they were right, just just to make sure this wasn't you know something i didn't think it was, and it turns out they were absolutely correct so here is the the website it's believe it or not fool dot com f o o l dot com uh, the company's called the motley fool and great financial resource and and Do a search on their website for Social Security Strategies, and they have reports that will show you every step of the way how to do this based on your situation. And and that's really the best resource I could give you on this. I'm all out of time. Thanks for joining me. Be safe. Be profitable. Do the hard work. And I'll see you back here next time. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. All right, everybody, don't hang up. Give me about uh, three to five minutes, maybe less, if I can uh, make this happen. I just got to get some files on their way up to Sirius. All right, well, that didn't take me nearly as long as I- we can go ahead and get started. Hopefully that interfere with uh, the show, but I don't think it should. Here we go.
0: Your money, your taxes, your truck,
4: and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and
1: Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs.
4: Back pocket.
1: Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Welcome to the program. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls, we answer your questions about all kinds of things trucking. Trucks, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology. Really just about anything at all that has to do with trucking and the trucking lifestyle. And uh, we're going to get to those calls right off the bat today. We've got a lot of calls lined up and I want to get to them and answer as many as I can. So let's head off to the phones. We're going to start off in Ohio. Russell, welcome to the program.
7: Hey, Kevin. Can you hear me?
1: I can. What's on your mind today?
7: Hey, how are we doing? Uh, I got a question. uh, As far as propane, you know, barbecue-sized bottles, one, possibly two, mounted on the frame to run a refrigerator, maybe a stove, is that legal or is that okay? or?
1: Now, one of the things I always try to tell people is that this is an area that I don't stay right on top of. I usually have a kind of a vague idea of what you can and can't do. But um, here's my understanding of this. I've put trying to remember when I put a propane injection system on one of my trucks testing it. I'm thinking that I had a 50 tank. It was pretty big. Um, And I believe one of the only restrictions you've got to be careful of are tunnels, maybe if you get uh, a certain amount of propane, but I don't remember what the amount is. Now, the other thing that we know, um, I have two 30-pound bottles on my RV, which is pretty common. And I believe those are, I think, a 30-pound bottle holds seven gallons, if I remember right. So you know most decent size RVs running down the street are already holding uh about 14 of propane and that must be legal and I don't think there's any restriction on going through tunnels with those so I'm you know pretty positive that the size you're talking about doesn't restrict you at all
7: okay great I'll I'll uh, look into a little bit more too uh and my next uh question is kind of off the wall but Say if I had a dual-sport motorcycle so I could commute maybe to the gym or whatever, I have enough room behind my cab to put it, but, you know, like a rack on an RV, how they have bicycles on the front bumper or like a city bus, it would that could that happen? Uh, I know I understand the flow, airflow to the radiator and all that, but would it put me over length, or how would they treat me on that?
1: You know, the. I think, again, um, I'm going to give you my understanding of this, but it's not something I know down to the letter. It's like if we were to put it on the front where it's going to really screw up your aerodynamics, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't don't think we would have length issues there because we can build some really long tractors without problems. It's the trailer length that, you know, even even the trailer tail had to get a, an exemption for length. But once you have 53 foot, you're kind of done. You can't go any farther. Now, if you have room behind the cab, that's absolutely where I would, uh, you know, doesn't throw up aerodynamic. I've seen several trucks set up that way uh, and it works good. There's even a company in um, Phoenix that I'm working with that that builds loaders to get things up on trucks like that. Like they build a loader to literally put a smart car up there behind the sleeper. And wow. They're, they're kind of, yeah. They're kind of cool. They, they run off a 12 volt. It's hydraulic and 12 volt. Um, even for a, you know, something as heavy as a smart car, you can get this thing up on the back without, you know, i up a ramp or, you know, using a lot of power. Um, If you're interested in looking at that company, their website is mountainmaster.net, not .com. It's mountainmaster.net, and they make motorcycle loaders and ATV loaders and all kinds of stuff. So on the back of the cab would be your best option.
7: Okay, I appreciate it, Kevin, and thank you for all you're doing.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Florida. Bobby, welcome to the program.
8: Good evening, Kevin. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of what me and my partner are doing. We're buying older trucks, and we're going to lease them out to drivers. We're going after these Swift drivers and others that are in these ridiculously high-priced leases. The idea is they lease our truck for a year to two years and save up to buy their truck. The question we have is how do we set the business up? Do we need to do an LLC as a partnership? Do we have to work with some state agency to start a business, I mean. You know, that kind of okay. stuff.
1: Um, yeah. So let's start with the the let's get the boring stuff out of the way. The state agencies, the local business license, those kind of things. That is so different across the country that it's insane. Now, what I will tell you is I've started a lot of businesses. And the only time I ever bothered with any kind of a business license or business permit that almost always tends to be local, either city County, that kind of stuff. The only time I've ever bothered with that is when I had a retail location and I didn't really bother with it the first time. It's just one day somebody showed up at my retail location, asked to see it and I didn't have one. So I had to go get it. Um, Other than that, Every business I've ever had that, that didn't have a, a storefront, I've never bothered with any of that stuff. Now, I don't know if it's right. Probably not. But I've been doing it, for it hasn't caused any problem. So um, you do need to register the name, of the state, whether you're a, a sole or whatever. It doesn't matter. You do want to register your name with the state. And that's not a big deal. Um, as far as how, how we set the business up, the business structure, it depends on a couple things. Um, are you cur- do you currently have a business as an owner-operator? Yes. And is it a sole proprietor or a corporation?
8: It's a sole proprietor.
1: Are you going to run this leasing company as part of that business, or are you going to set up a totally separate business?
8: Totally separate.
1: Okay, so...
8: Now, we're talking about, in the future, getting our own authority to make that an option for the people we lease to, but uh, right now, it's just the leasing business.
1: Okay, and one of the things I, I'd like to do is, is it doesn't hurt to look at the future, but we kind of want to deal with the present. How many trucks do you think that you will buy and lease out in, in calendar year 2015? Ten. Okay, so here's, here's my guess, and I, I could be wrong on this. My guess is that by the time you get this up and running and get 10 trucks on the road, the revenue for this year is not going to be any big deal. I mean, I, I don't see you making sixty or $70,000 off of this venture this year. And because we won't, I don't see any reason to, to form an s yet it's expensive. It's more complicated. Um, I, I want to, I would much rather see people get a year under their belt, then see what the income is going to be like. And, and then we can always move to an S corp and it's not hard at all. But once we start one, we have all that expense, we have all that complication and, and I'd rather not do that right now. So what I would recommend, and and I always say, this is something you need an attorney for, for the final decision, but, my inclination would be to start this as an LLC. How many people are involved?
8: Well, there's two of us that are putting money in, and we're going to hire someone to do the bookkeeping.
1: Okay, I might have to take that back then. Uh, and, and again, talk to the attorney. Um, you might be forced into the S-Corp just because you have two people. The, the other option is a partnership you know, which, which is much less complicated, doesn't offer any real tax benefits, but I don't think you're going to need any. The downside to the partnership is the responsibility. Now, the LLC as a partnership can protect you from some liability, but it can't really protect you from things your partner might do. And that's right. what you worry about in a partnership. If your partner runs off and you know, has access to a bunch of assets, truck titles and that kind of stuff and goes and borrows $100,000 and goes on vacation with it, you're screwed. I mean, you are responsible for everything your partner does. So the LLC can protect you from some outside liability, can't really protect you from your partner. So the decision comes down. Do we want to take the risk with the partner or do we want to spend the extra money and have the extra complication of an s because those are going to be your only two options because there's multiple people. Um, let me get to a, Let me let me get to a break and I will come back and we'll see if that helped and we'll talk about some of the details. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. Hey, I want to remind you we are uh, we're building our text message list again. Um, many of you are already on this list, but I want to open it up to some new people. And and here's what we use it for: we only use it to let you know about recording times. We're not going to spam you with other stuff. It's just a, a really convenient way you'll get a text message directly on your phone whenever we're recording or doing any of our podcasts. And it's so simple because the phone number that you need to call to join the recordings right there, you just click on it, dials you in. Uh, It's a great service, easy to start, but it's also really easy to stop. If you decide that you don't want to get the text messages anymore, you don't need us to take you off the list. You can do it yourself right from a text message. So let me tell you how to sign up. Want to grab something to write with? Uh, this is really easy. If you've ever sent a text message to anybody, this is it's all you have to do. Open up your text message program, whatever you use, and the number you're going to text to is what's called a short code. It's not a whole phone number. It's just a short code. And the number is 99,000. So you send the message to... Nine nine zero zero zero. You only put one word in the body, and the word is listen. That's it. And you don't have to worry about capitalization or anything. Just type the word listen, nothing else. Send it to ninety nine thousand. Wait a couple minutes and you should get a response back telling that you that you've been entered into the system. and and every time we send out a message, there's a a little instruction there on how to stop getting them if you want to. So um, please take a couple minutes and join up and, and get on our text message list. Let's go to the phones. I'm going to go back to Florida. Bobby, you still with me?
8: Yes.
1: Does that make sense so far?
8: Yeah. So the basic, the the minimum I have to do is register the business name and, you know, the S corp gives you a little more protection from my partner, but it's a little more complicated.
1: Yep, exactly. Okay.
8: okay, so the only other question I had is: Do I register the trucks in the name of the company? When I go to yeah. title the trucks.
1: Yes, and again, that is more of an attorney question, but. Yeah, that's really the best way to do it. It it, it doesn't have to be done that way. There are some other ways, and your attorney might have some ideas, but for the most part, that's usually the best way to do it. You have a business name, and all the assets are purchased under the business and titled in the business name.
8: What uh, what type of lawyer am I looking for?
1: Really, this is um, what I would do is I would call or I would go online and check the bar association in your state and get a recommendation for just a small business lawyer because we're really not talking about any real trucking specific issues right now. We're not talking about authority or, or that kind of stuff. Although, if you could find an attorney who has worked in the trucking industry it might be a good place to build a relationship, but they're a little harder to find, um, small business attorneys, guys that deal with the kind of issues we're talking about are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere.
8: All right. Sounds like that's what I need.
1: dude. All right. There you go. Thanks for the call. Have a great rest of the day. Let's head off to Virginia. Bailey. Welcome. Hey, Kevin.
9: Thanks for taking my call. Um, and good to talk to you again. Um, I just had a comment. I, w- I was listening to uh, the, the the weekend recordings, and um, and I, I recently read an article talking about how making excuses was like America's new uh, silent addiction. And I was listening to the folks that called in, and you could you could tell what's before they got five words out of their mouth when after you asked them what their numbers were. And, and they either answered your question or they just started making excuses. And, and, and I, I was just blown away that caller after caller and, – and I listen to you rather frequently. You know, we've talked a couple times. And, um, you know, it, it just blew me away that, like, you know, as a society, how we're just trained to if, – if we hear something we don't like or a question we, don't, we can't answer, uh, instead of going, I don't know – we just say, "Well, you see, what this is because of this, and you know, or whatever, you know, whatever spiel." And uh, you know, I, I just wanted to comment on that today and, and right see what now, you thought.
1: And I, I actually like the word you used, addiction. Um, I, I believe it is, and I believe it is a huge problem. Now, now, let me relate it to something else we've been hearing for a long time, and you can see it. It's true. It's not just that we're hearing it. It's absolutely true. I see it in society in general, and I see it in our world here of the owner-operators, and this is what I mean. We keep hearing that the rich keep getting richer, and the poor keep getting poorer, and the middle class is disappearing. That's an absolutely true statement. I I can relate it to the trucking industry and owner-operators. I now have Lots of owner-operators making crazy amounts of profit, stuff I thought we would never see. Dollar a mile, we just had a caller, 94 cents a mile. Five years ago, that was such a tiny exception. Now, all of a sudden, we have all kinds of people doing it. On the other hand, we have huge failures in lease purchase programs. We have owner-operators that say they can't afford to put fuel in their truck. A wider reports that the average owner-operator makes about $40,000 a year, which is insane. And there doesn't seem to be many people left in the middle anymore. So there, there's a real parallel there between our society as a whole and the owner-operator world. All the statements are true, but where everybody draws their conclusion seems to be false. Everybody thinks I, that I, it's... Um, giant conspiracy it's the government it's the democrats it's the republicans it's the the libertarian companies it's
9: yeah yeah, it's it's everybody it's everybody but the guy you're looking at in the mirror
1: yeah it's it's Um, the coke brothers it's um feinstein i mean look around there's a million people we can blame but what it really comes down to is the people who are doing better are doing the things that made them rich in the first place. They just keep doing the same stuff. The people who are getting poor keep doing the same things that were making them poor all along. And the people who are, are improving are the ones who are looking in the mirror and saying, I could make all kinds of excuses, and some of them even might be true, but it doesn't empower me to make excuses. Why not just take responsibility for everything,
9: well, you, I don't know if you remember, uh, the first time you and I spoke uh, it was on this, when you did the topic of, uh, has your life gotten better in the last, you know, since you've gotten into trucking in the last five years, etc. cetera. And, 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 I, and I told you then, and, and the, this weekend, one of the callers this weekend, when we were talking about hitting a bottom, I, I told you then I had five years of recovery from, from active addiction. And, you know, God willing, when I, March 9th will be six years for me. And, you know, the, the thing is, like, where I, I did, identified with your call this weekend is, you know, when we, when we, um, we look at what's going on and we don't set a bottom. We don't say, this is, you know, I don't want to exist this way anymore. I don't want to live this way. And, and I don't want to continue doing what I'm doing. And, and the thing is, I, I, I know a lot of guys in recovery and trucking that do really well because they take that mentality of, I will no longer accept this, or I will no longer live like this. And, they, and, and myself and these other people included, you know, they take ownership of, our, of, of, of all of our our decisions you know our actions
1: and our inactions absolutely you know it it, um i would love to do a whole show on this but it just doesn't really kind of fit you know the overall theme i might do a podcast on it but you know talking about addiction i just finished literally within the last couple days one of the best books i have ever read i'm kind of The, the, the tony robbins book No, no, let me. This one is specifically about um, addiction and mostly about our drug problem, not just in this country, but in the world. And it's it was so well researched and so well documented. And it is so totally opposite from what we've been led to believe. I'm kind of fascinated by addiction. I don't even know why. I've never really known anybody who was addicted. I haven't ever been addicted to much of anything, even though I've experimented with all kinds of crazy stuff. But um, it, it, and now it actually makes a little more sense why, even though I did screw around in, in my earlier days with a lot of things that could have really led to addiction and they just didn't. Um, the book is called chasing the scream and the author, if you just look chasing the scream, you'll get it. Cause it's, it's, I think it's I'll, really I'll look hard. it up. Uh, the author is Johan Harry, H-A-R-I. Um, what a great writer this guy was to begin with. Very enjoyable to read. And his research took him all over the world. And, I, I, you know, I verified some of the facts in the book. And it is absolutely amazing. It turns everything we know about addiction upside down. And everything we do in this country and worldwide around drugs is all wrong. Um, And you got to read it. Let me uh, let me get to a break and I'll I'll come back. Like I say, it's an absolutely fascinating subject to me. And I actually learned some things that that will help me improve my life. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to go back to Virginia Bailey. I, 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 like I said, I'm fascinated by this topic and I'd love to talk about it, but I know this isn't the place I I'll give you one hint. Um, we've always been led to believe that drug addiction is primarily caused by the chemical hook of the drug. You know, you, you try something, You keep doing it, and before you know it, you know it's changed your body chemically, and you're addicted to the chemical. And that seems to make so much sense. And there is some truth behind that. There's no question. There are some withdrawal symptoms if you try to quit a drug. That kind of thing.
9: But but that that only makes sense until you're about thirty days out from something. Because one, I mean,
1: yeah. And here's the other reason it doesn't make sense. If that were the case, why do we have Gamblers Anonymous? You can't inject yourself with a deck of cards. But that, well, that
9: addiction. Or, 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 or over, shopping, Overeaters Anonymous.
1: Shopping or sex or overeating or Facebook. Exactly. I, believe, I, I believe Facebook is now one of the worst addictions we have. And oh, absolutely. Has,
9: Social media and screens yeah. have become, you yeah. know, they're, they're, it's outrageous. And, and, and,
1: There are no chemical hooks whatsoever. Now, some people will argue, yeah, it's endorphins and all that stuff. But come on, Um, there is no chemical hook. The chemical hook of certain drugs is clearly a part of the addiction. But that's probably the easiest part to beat. I mean, they've proven that. Really, when it comes down to it, tobacco is probably one of the strongest chemical hooks. It's
9: the most tobacco. Nicotine is the most addictive substance
1: on the planet. Yeah. And people quit that all the time.
9: Yeah. I mean. You know the, the the funny thing is though, and and you've mentioned this in your show before, but you've had callers, and and you can tell that these, these callers call in and they're just miserable or they're just angry, and it's like you've made comments or alluded to some of these people. There's people out there that are just addicted to causing drama or being haters or being miserable, um, you know, because they get addicted to that feeling. And, and, you know, it's, it's no different than, um, you know, I, I, like I told you before, I have got almost six years of recovery. And if I didn't change the way I thought the way that I looked at things and, and, and just in, in addition to changing my behavior, I I would have gone back out and and used years ago or killed myself or or been a failure or whatever, but I'm pretty successful today. Um, you know, doing what I'm doing and and I'm, uh, you know, I earned more money last year than I ever have uh, than I ever have legally in my life. And and I I owe that to trucking and and also, you know, to, to changing the way that I live and I don't make excuses for my behavior.
1: Well, congratulations. You know, one more thing on this, and this absolutely does come originally from Anthony Robbins, but prior to that from Maslow's hierarchy of needs as humans, we have a huge need to, to, be significant, to have significance in life. And if we can't get it through positive means, we find ways to be significant in in negative ways to the point of if I if I find you on the street corner and I put a gun to your head at that moment, I'm the most significant thing in your life. True. And yeah. that's really what a lot of our behaviors are driving us towards. We just want to be we want to have some significance, good Absolutely. or bad.
9: Uh, And one last thing, and then 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 I'll I'll stop taking time, but uh, I just got my Audible credits, and my plan was to get the Tony Robbins book. I'm going to look for this book, which you said was Chasing the Scream, Uh, but the other one I wanted to ask you about, have you uh, read or listened to Failing Forward?
1: No, I haven't.
9: Uh, it's, um, I, 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 another friend of mine recommended it and it, it's, uh, the author slips my mind at the moment, but basically the book is about how using every, every failure to, um, uh, just Help. like, you know,
1: I'm sorry. Okay. I just found it. I looked it up while we were talking and I can absolutely recommend it because of the author. Um, I've read a ton of stuff by John Maxwell. I haven't read this Bob? book. Um, yeah, I haven't read this book, but I've read a ton of stuff um, by Maxwell on leadership and all kinds of different topics. He's a great author.
9: Well, then I'll get it and I'll call you back and let you know what I think.
1: Excellent. Sounds great.
9: It was great to talk to you, Kevin.
1: All right. Thanks. Hey, there's another book to put on my list. There's so many. Um, you know, and, and what I find is the more time I spend listening to, to good material, the easier it is to stay focused on doing the right things. Let's uh let's go to um Iowa. Matthew, welcome to the program.
3: Good morning,
10: Kevin. Long time no see no here. Hey, uh I got a radio that don't have you, so
2: I gotta call in on this number sometimes.
0: Okay. Um,
10: I'm having issues. I got a two thousand fifteen International Lone Star. It's only got probably around thirty-three, thirty-four thousand 34,000 miles on it. Um, I was reading a uh, a paper, and I was reading the uh, symptoms of a DPF cleaning. I'm showing all the symptoms of a DPF cleaning. It's regenerated by itself a lot. Um, I don't have to do a parking regen on it yet. But the dealerships will not do a DPF cleaning until I reach my 200,000 mile on my speedometer.
1: Nice. Um, At some point, they're going to have to. And and I will tell you right now, um, what year did you say this truck was?
10: Brand new, 2015.
1: Your truck or a lease purchase? Lease purchase. I would walk away from this thing the first day that I could. This is (laughs) a... It's a very, like very it. bad sign. No, and, and look, I'm not even talking about just because it's a lease purchase, really. I, it, if that were the case, I would ask you a lot more questions. I'm saying right. that this is one of the worst signs that I have seen in a new truck, DPF issues within 30,000 miles, I, I, would, I would run away from that truck. I, okay. And I, I can't tell you how, how expensive and time-consuming it this truck is going to be and the odds of them figuring out why it's already clogging the DPF are slim to none. Something is severely wrong and that DPF is going to clog early. It's going to kill your fuel economy. It's going to bring all kinds of warning lights and shutdowns. And you're going to fight with the dealer about cleaning it. That's expensive. So you don't want to be cleaning this thing all the time. I, I, I can't stress enough how fast I would run away from this truck.
10: Right. Um, like I said, the dealership's not doing it because of the 200,000 Matt, miles. Matt, Matthew, but,
1: Matthew, yes, did sir. you hear anything I just said?
10: Yes, you said walk away from it.
1: Because it sounds to me like you're going to continue to ask me some for advice about what you should do on this truck. I gave you the only advice I'm going to give you. Gotcha.
10: All right. I'm going to have to go back to my lease purchase and say, hey, give me another truck.
1: It it, my I I would rather you went back to being a company driver and save some money, but at the very least, get out of this truck. If you're going to lease something from them, get into something else. This one is going to be a disaster. I would not take that risk. Let's uh, let's go to Illinois. Roger, welcome to the program.
6: Hi, Kevin. I'm gonna overhaul an N14 and. I'm leaning toward an aftermarket kit. What do you think of the aftermarket kits out
1: there? Um, the problem with that is I I, I don't know what aftermarket... It, it, it's getting so confusing anyway. I mean, what really is aftermarket compared to what is factory? Where's the factory getting their parts? Where are the aftermarket companies getting their parts? I don't know, so it, it's it's it really is impossible for me to make a blanket statement. All I can say is, if I were in this position that I had to rebuild something, I would want to be. I I wouldn't be working with um, a dealer right now, unless I had a rock solid uh, relationship with them. For example, my my Detroit garage in Florida, I had a. a 14-year relationship with, and I couldn't say enough good stuff about them. They they were a great company. A couple little bumps in the road every now and then when we would get a new service manager, but nothing major. We always worked through them. I would trust a shop like that and I would sit down with them and I would ask them about the parts. Where do they come from? How do I know these are good parts? What's the track record on failures? Or I would be at Pittsburgh Power uh, doing the same thing. Where are the parts going to come from? What has the track record been? What can you tell me about the quality and and those kind of things? I don't know enough about the supply chain of parts to know that. I I would have to depend on somebody, and I would only want to depend on somebody that I absolutely had that relationship with and trusted.
6: Because the problem I'm having is I, it's a Cummins, and I went to Cummins. I bought six new injectors, and I the six I replaced
0: four.
1: Well, yeah, hold on. I get it because we've been dealing with that, and I've been talking about it for almost two years now. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Roethlisberger. Hey, real quick, before we start this final segment, um, I'm looking through the calls. We just dropped a whole bunch of calls. I think people realize we're getting towards the end. I could probably squeeze in one or two more calls. So if you've got a question, a comment, a topic, and you wanted to get through, press one on your phone right now. And if you're quick enough, I will probably be able to get to you. Let's uh, let's go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. The website is letstruck.com. Real quick, if you need any help from us, if you have any questions about accounting or anything else we can help you with, you can always call us at 855-800-FUEL. 855-800-3835. I'm going to get back to some phone calls. Let's go to Mike. Welcome to the program.
3: Hey, how are you
1: doing today, Kevin? Good. What can I help you with? I got my profit data. So I want you to take a look at it. All right. Let's see what we've got. Uh, there we go. Got it up here in front of me. Is this for, it looks like the whole year of 2014, correct? Yep. Tell me a little bit about your operation. and And I'm going to guess that, single truck single driver leased to a carrier on a mileage contract yep okay um honestly right now I've got to say next to a lease purchase this is probably one of my least favorite setups right now in five years ago I was saying the opposite five years ago I was saying you know good contract, steady pay, got a good fuel surcharge. We can control expenses and and make money and, you know, we can do okay. Rates have been steadily climbing and, and we are so far above the rates we were at three or four or five years ago. And yet the contract rates, you know, the least to a carrier contract rates haven't moved much. Um, You know, your contract probably says something like 93, 94 cents a mile plus fuel surcharge. Is that about right? I'm
3: at 86 cents a mile plus fuel surcharge.
1: Well then you're doing a very good job of managing um empty and and you know non-paid miles because the real number that we always look for is the way you're doing it on profit gauges. All miles, all revenue. And you're at 83 cents a mile, and your fuel surcharge is working out to about 37 for the year, and there's some other pay in there that's adding another seven. So you're at a1.27 a mile. It, the, the problem in today's world is that maintenance costs have gone up, tire costs have gone up, tolls are going up. Everything in our business is going up, and, and rates are too but not the carriers that are paying mileage contract. I, I, it seems to me like they're about two or three years behind on this stuff. So it's getting much more difficult to manage um, on, on this amount of revenue. Um, but let's look through your expenses and see how you're doing. Um, your fixed costs look really good. Uh, you're only spending seven cents, which is basically insurance, uh, some lease stuff, a little bit of tax and license, you must not have a truck payment, correct? Uh, it's paid for. Excellent. So that's helping out a lot. Um, let's go down to the next two big ones that matter: fuel, forty-nine cents a mile. You're doing an excellent job there. for For overall, for the whole year, that is a really good number. Now, maintenance is another issue. How much of this maintenance is is upgrades and improvements?
3: Um. A good bit rough. of that's about fifty, sixty 60 in improvements. The rest is just maintaining.
1: Oh, good. Good. I like that then, because you're at twenty-one cents a mile, but if we say even just fifty percent, that means you're maintaining the truck for about ten cents. And and that's really starting to be kind of the new average on older trucks. I used to say we could do it for six or seven cents, but with all the costs going up, we really can't do that very well anymore. So, you are doing a good job of maintaining the maintenance, the upgrades. They pay for themselves over time, so we're good with that. Um, it seems like they're. I mean, they're. Oh, here's a. Here's what I'm looking at. This was the one I was missing. What are we paying twenty seven thousand dollars in fees for?
3: It's the way they've got.
1: Uh, my maintenance account. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute! Oh, hold on. I think I found the mistake. Um, it's not the fees that are killing you. The fees are tiny. Advances are being shown as an expense, which is incorrect. All you need to do, this is a simple fix. All you need to go in and do is change advance from an expense to what we call retained earnings in our system. And then that'll get that 23,000 dollars out of there, because that's still your money. You took the advance yeah. and you had to pay the fees to get it, but it's not an expense. I also see there's a $3,000 loan in there that we also need to change that. So that brings back another 24 cents a mile to the bottom line. So now, if we correct those, uh, 34, you're at about 38 cents a mile, which Starting with $1.27, you're really not going to do much better than that. You, you are doing a really good job of managing expenses. Um, we always want to keep trying to do better. but But honestly, if you want to do much better, you're going to have to look at a different operation. And in today's okay. world, I am telling people, don't sign a mileage contract. Rates are too high. It looks like they're going to stay high. One, one issue that's got me a little concerned right now is what's going on in the ports that could slow down freight, but I I don't see that being an extended problem. So I'm still really leaning heavily towards, um, uh, percentage contracts, not mileage. Um, and if you don't know exactly how to fix those two problems, no big deal. Give us a call we'll get uh, Brittany and she can knock this thing out in about two or three minutes. She'll have those fixed.
3: Okay. uh, Well, actually I'm leaving that 2014 was my last year with this company. Um, I'm going to start with Landstar Monday or Tuesday. I go to orientation.
1: I'm going to make a prediction that based on how good you are at managing expenses, that once you get some time under your belt at Landstar, you're going to turn that thirty-eight cents a mile into sixty plus in just the first year. I mean, I I, I really think so.
3: It would be nice, um, but I wanted that. So if I fix that, advances to retain earnings, that should change my year-end tax. Right yeah, now, that, with my year-end well, tax it's showing a negative eight hundred and thirty something right. dollars.
1: Right, and let my
3: DMs hit.
1: Yeah, let me give you an idea then about what it's going to be. We're going to end up adding uh, twenty six thousand dollars to that number. So you're going to be, you know, instead of what was it, almost eight thousand in the? Was it eight thousand or eight hundred in the hole?
3: Eight hundred in the hole after
0: per okay.
1: Yeah, so you're going to end up paying tax on about 25000 and I can even give you a pretty quick estimate of what that's going to be. Um, let's call it uh, somewhere between about $3,500 and $4,000 in tax.
3: Okay. I've got one more quick question. Um, my uh, 2014 1099 does not match... The settlements entered in the profit gauges. is about a $9,000 short, according to the 1099 saying I made $9,000 more. Um, okay. I'm on the way to Dallas to have a look at their paperwork. They're supposed to run some kind of report to make sure that I got all the settlements I got are entered in matching what they've got. If it don't, how do I fix that?
1: Okay. And, and here's another good, good, piece of news for you you know when you're a profit gauges member we offer that service to help you. We'll get you with Brittany and we'll go through it until we get it right so you know work with the company on their end uh work with us on our end and we'll make sure that we get that thing to match
3: okay that will work
1: all right thanks for the call and uh congratulations on the changes you will love Landstar and I think you are going to be amazed when uh, I will look forward to talking to you this time next year so we can go over the uh, 2015 numbers, and I think they're going to be amazing. Uh, wow, I'm looking at the clock, and we uh, we blew right through that segment, so I'm going to have to get out of here. Uh, one thing real quick, and I'm going to talk about this probably more uh, coming up this weekend, is I've said in the past that when it comes to self-employed health insurance, we don't get to deduct it as a business expense. That's the IRS rules. But we're working with the tax firm that we've partnered with, and we have come up with a strategy so that if you are married and self-employed, we can get that health insurance deduction for the entire family to be fully tax deductible on the business. I don't really have time to um, explain it all right now, but I'll be talking about it more in the future. So look forward to that. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you back here next time. Be safe, be profitable, do the hard work, and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rothbard.
5: for tuning in to the audio road if you have any questions give us a call at 855-800-FUEL that's 855-800-3835 check out the website at let and find us on facebook.com slash let's truck